Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. It is within the experience of everyone that when pleasure and pain reach a certain intensity, they are indistinguishable. Arnold Bennett. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode 30. Hello, this is G. As a content warning, there is a brief discussion of both needles and tickling, and there will be a timestamp in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Bye. Hello, I'm G. I'm M. And today on the KNP podcast, we are going to be talking about a subject which is near and dear to my heart, my sadistic little heart. Your sadistic little heart. (laughs) Yes. And we're going to be talking about sadism and masochism today. Yeah, this is a great topic. So I'm also looking forward to it in my non- non-super sadistic little heart, but slightly sadistic little heart. Slightly sadistic? Yeah. All right. So I think the first thing that we like to do in these shows is we like to go over dictionary, I like to go over definitions, especially dictionary definitions and how we disagree with them. Yeah. And like pick them apart. Tell them what's up. Yeah. Do you want to cover masochism and I'll do sadism? Sure. I would love to represent les masochistes. That's pretty sure that's not the correct word in French. I'm 99% certain it isn't, but who cares? I doubt we have any French, (laughs) any people from France listen to the podcast. Probably someone is like, why did you just do that? Uh, I mean, I say that, but I also know there's like one listener in Singapore. So. Oh my gosh, guess what the fucking French word is for masochist? What? Masochist? J'ai dit le mot. I said the right word. All right. So anyways, with that being said, why don't you go on and talk about sadism? All right. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines sadism as derivation of sexual gratification from the infliction of physical pain or humiliation on another person. Also, fun fact, sadism is an eponym, an eponym being a word derived from a person's name. In this case, the person is the Marquis de Sade. Yes. And on the masochism end, Merriam-Webster defines masochism as the derivation of sexual gratification from being subjected to physical pain or humiliation by oneself or another person. Uh, yes. Yeah. So these are the dictionary definitions. And I feel like these, these dictionary definitions limit these concepts to merely being about sexual gratification. Right. And to a certain extent, I think they mirror more the technical psychological term rather than how we use the term in day-to-day life. Yeah, I think here they're really capturing kind of based off of like paraphilias. Yes. So yeah, in the psychological sense, the reason that they're using the sexual gratification part is because that is kind of how it's outlined in a psychological disorder framework. Yes, and... But... uh, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I... You know, we we like to pick these definitions apart because they're not always super accurate into how everybody uses them or not even the majority of how people use them. And so for the sake of our podcast, we want to specifically pick apart the sexual gratification piece. And in my opinion, I would modify these definitions by saying that As a sadist, one derives pleasure, sexual or otherwise, from inflicting pain. And that pleasure could be sexual or it could be mental, emotional, etc. 
while the bottom may experience sexual pleasure from receiving pain, but they could also experience other types of pleasure, such as mental or emotional pleasure. So, you know, like there are asexual sadists and masochists. Yes. And also, I think even more broadly speaking, we can see sort of examples of sadism and masochism in everyday life. You know, we in America got a loan word from Germany called Schadenfreude, which is, you know, taking pleasure from other people's uh, misfortune, which I feel like is a form of sadism. And there are times where like pain feels good, you know, when you go on a really long run and, you know, you sort of push through the pain in order to accomplish uh, whatever goal you're trying to, uh, you're trying to achieve. That is a form of masochism, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think similarly, there are people who also are kind of masochists in a bad way in their day to day in that they like, actively inflict harm on themselves emotionally or otherwise, or they seek out harm without it being in a consenting situation. And so you'll hear people who kind of like self-sabotage. And a lot of those times, those people either self-identify as or have been described as by close friends, like as masochists, like they are somehow enjoying some kind of um, pleasure from like self-sabotaging. Yeah, I don't know how you felt about it. But when I was trying to do research for this episode, I had a hard time sort of getting past the various psychological articles about masochistic personality disorder and stuff like that. Yeah, like those are definitely out there. I think for the sake of obviously our podcast, we're going to hone in on kink and BDSM specific applications. So I narrowed down that search by looking into those things specifically. Yeah, I did a similar thing, though. I feel like you're a better researcher than I when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know, I just have the Google foo. I've been told that, like, friends will ask me, like, well, how did you find that thing? And I'm like, I don't know. I just typed in some words, and then it just, it magically appeared. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Are you saying you're, you're Google's dom? No, I, um, I Google's dom. Hmm. I mean, I think we kind of are switchy. Because Google also will just like throw random articles in my face and be like, read this. And I'm like, okay, Google. I totally thought you were going to go with, you tell Google what you want when it comes to search articles and Google tells you where to go when it comes to driving. Oh yeah, that's true. Google also tells me where to go when I'm driving. You know, so it's very reciprocal. It's a very nice relationship. Okay. But yeah, so like moving on into the BDSM space, as we're breaking apart these definitions, I said, you know, obviously there are asexual sadists and masochists and some asexual folks, while they might not experience, you know, typical or normal or frequent sexual attraction, some of them do enjoy sexual pleasure from sadistic or masochistic activities. And what I often hear talked about in the asexual BDSM community is like, oh, I'm attracted to the pain. I'm not necessarily attracted to the person. And that's how I kind of am with my kinks in general, too. So, like, I'm, I'm attracted to bottoming to specific activities, and that doesn't necessarily hinge on a sexual attraction to a person. Yeah, I definitely understand that. I am definitely attracted to violet wand kink, no matter who is on the other end. Whether I'm doing the violet wand or somebody else is doing the violet wand to me, I do love me some electricity. Yeah, and that's really cool. And I think like beyond that too, there are some folks who are either asexual or allosexual, that term being that they experience quote unquote, normal, typical, regular, quote unquote, sexual attraction, who just engage in sadism or masochism because it makes their partners happy. Or maybe they just want to try newer different things. And so even if you are someone who experiences sexual attraction, you might be pulled to sadism or masochism for reasons that are not explicitly sexual. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I feel like service topping and service bottoming are both sort of legitimate ways of how to approach BDSM. Yeah, those are great examples, G. Did you want to um, maybe quickly, briefly define service topping and service bottoming? Just in case there are folks who don't know. Of course. So service Service topping and service bottoming are, I'd say, you know, exactly what it says on the tin. You are topping or bottoming to a certain activity because it makes 
as a service to your partner. Right. So for example, uh, there was a time when, you know, I'm not particularly into wax play, but you know, at a partner who wanted me to do wax play to them. And so I did it for them because as a service, because they really wanted it. And I was happy to provide that service. Right, exactly. That's a great definition. Thanks, G. I do a fair bit of service topping myself, and I truly do enjoy it. I know some bottoms don't really enjoy it when their tops are doing the service topping thing because they want it to be, quote unquote, like their their true desire, their like real desire. And so like bringing this back to sadism, for me, I'm not a hardcore sadist or anything, especially in the physical realm. And so a lot of the like impact play that I do or other types of play, which involve me being the one giving the pain, a lot of the times that is out of a service mindset, um, but not always. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not in full status mode all the time, every scene that I play in. Right. It depends on, you know, what you negotiate, how you're feeling that day, how your partner's feeling that day. You know, there have definitely been times where, like, I've negotiated a sadistic scene and, like, the day of, it's like, uh, you know, I kind of had, like, a crappy day. So can we just do something a little bit more low-key? Right. You know, these, you know, it's fine to sort of, you know, negotiate something and then, you know, in the, like, before you actually start the scene, it's like, look, I know we negotiated this, but, you know, I'm not really feeling up to it right now. Right. Absolutely. And um, just from a bottom perspective, and I was going to touch on this a little bit more later too, it's like, if you realize that, oh, we agreed to do this really intense impact play scene where you're going to be, you know, whipping me or whatever it is that you're engaging in, and then you realize, oh, I've had a bad pain day and I need to not do that intense of a, a thing. Just checking in with your body and your mind before doing a scene and asking yourself, like, what is my mind and what are my mind and my body really up for? I think that's good. Yeah. And of course, it probably shouldn't need to be said, but we're going to say it anyway. Whenever you're participating in some sort of sadistic or masochistic activity, you should have everybody's consent in the scene. In fact, we have a whole episode about consent, G. We do. And if I was a prepared podcaster, I'd have an episode number for you. But instead, I just have a dog who's walking around. Well, that's all right. So, yeah, I guess in mainstream portrayal, sadism and masochism are often portrayed as a lead up to sex or in combination with sex. So, like, the number one thing that comes to mind when I think of, like, mainstream sadomasochism is spanking. That's, like, an activity that you, like, you will see in mainstream kind of arenas. And that is, like, that is still... That can still be very sadistic or masochistic. Mm -hmm. And while sadism and masochism is often portrayed that way, I think I think because it's portrayed that way, that's why kink in general and and sadism and masochism get lumped in with like it has to be a sexual thing because of the overarching portrayal. But obviously doesn't have to lead up to or be combined with sex. So like for me, the kink is the thing that I'm going for. It's not that I'm going for the sex. So if I just had like a really nice sadistic scene with someone like for me that doesn't have to lead to sex and what about you g like do you feel like you engage in sadism as a preparation for sex or in combination with sex or do you generally keep things separate so i i'll be happily answer your question but i would like to rewind for a second and you said something which i don't think we've actually defined which is sadomasochism yes so do you think you could just quickly define that and then i'll give you my answer yeah, so sadomasochism is when you both take pleasure from the inflicting of the pain and the receiving of pain, which is basically the S&M switch. Yep. All right. So as for myself, while there is what I would consider to be a sexual component to my sadistic play, like I get very excited by it. It doesn't have to lead to sex. In fact, a majority of the time, it does not lead to sex. A majority of the partners, like I, not every partner I have, every kink partner I have is a masochist. And the ones that do have some masochistic tendencies, for the most part, I don't have sexual relationships with them. So it's mostly just a matter of 
you know, I do the scene, you know, I get my sort of pleasure from the scene. And I would say that some of that pleasure is sexual, but does not necessarily lead to sex, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a good distinction to make that you can get sexual pleasure and also not want that to be or not need it to be resolved in a in a sexual encounter specifically. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I think that as long as it's consensual and people are aware of the intentions or expectations, then everything's good in my book. Whether for you it, it preferably involves sex or it doesn't, as long as people are all on board, I think that that's cool. Yes. And during my search, G, because you know me, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Yes. A research nerd. And you know my my switchy DS partner, Google, recommended this dissertation called Useful Dangers, the Erotics of Form, Sadomasochism, Victorian Narrative by Marianne Davis. It was published in 2012. And it talks about sadomasochism as a queer practice specifically, rather than as a sexual practice. And it actually uses literature to highlight that queerness that comes from S&M, the dissertation is free. It's it's over 200 pages, but we will link it link to it in the show notes. And I will read a quote from the abstract which I thought was really good. Instead of dismissing sadomasochism because it treads too close for comfort to the symbols of enduring oppressions, I take seriously the useful danger of sadomasochism to complicate the relationship between narrative pleasure and power and an erotics of form that I bring to the level of the text. So this does analyze several different texts. And yeah, I haven't read the whole thing. Well, it is 200 pages. It's over 200 pages. But I love that. I love that it says like, you know, that to take seriously that useful danger of sadomasochism. Okay, yeah, that's that, that does sound very interesting. And the Victorians, as far as I can tell, from my very limited historical research, were super kinky. <laughs> I've definitely stumbled upon some Victorian pornography where it's like, oh, that's they, kinky. nothing has changed, really. <laughs> nothing has, yes, exactly. So I guess now we're going to just change gears a little bit, Jay, because you wanted to talk about differentiating sadism and masochism from dominance and submission. Yes. So... As listeners of the show may know, uh, I do not consider myself to be a dominant, and I consider myself to be a sadist. And I have been asked in the past, like, why do I make this distinction? And and I've even had some people tell me, like, you know, I you know I've listened to what you said, and like everything you said sort of sounds like what a dominant would say. Now, I want to preface this all with this is my opinion. I'm not going to lay down the law, but this is sort of how I distinguish the two in my mind. Dominance is about deriving pleasure from power exchange and being able to control certain aspects of the submissive's life. Now, pain can be used as a tool in a DS relationship, but you can also have things such as daddy doms or gentle doms. Daddy or mommy doms or parent doms. Or caregiver doms. Caregiver doms, yeah. And sadism, as we've already discussed, is about deriving pleasure from the act of hurting or humiliating someone. So not all dominants are sadists. Not all sadists are dominants, but you can be both. And these are, in my opinion, again, these are two different spectrums that you can that you can be on as a top and uh, you know, it will change sort of how you want to do scenes depending on sort of where you fall on these spectrums. Yeah. And I would go further G to be quite honest. I would argue that there are infinite spectrums that you can fall on as a top. And in reality, there are so many various ways to be a top or a D type or a sadist. And I don't think it's limited to those two scales of like power exchange and pain and I would even go further to divide up some of the, the sadism and masochism itself into like an emotional versus a physical spectrum. 
Because there are some people who are totally into emotional masochism, but aren't at all into physical masochism. Um, And then we could even add like a mental or spiritual dimension as well. And I think the same goes for power exchange. So really, when you look at like all of the infinitely many ways to top, I think it's just like every single top is going to be unique. And I don't think, you know, we use these categories like sadist or dominant to be to try to describe overall our our role or our preferences. But in the end, like you are Yuji. And to experience your specific brand of sadism, it's like, you know, it's a whole thing. So I think, yeah, I guess my point in saying that is like, just there are so many possibilities when it comes to sadism and masochism. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm not trying to use this as I'm not trying to use this definition, these these spectrums as sort of a limiting or sort of gateway exclusionary fashion. I just think, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't really thought about it, I feel like it's a useful way of sort of understanding that there are sort of different ways to approach being a top. And oftentimes I feel like people enter the scene and they're like, oh, yes, I have read some kinky stuff on the internet, I am definitely, you know, a dominant with a capital D. I'll order everyone around. And some people enter the scene like, oh yes, I am a submissive and I'll accept all the humiliation and all, and do all the service before actually really knowing that those things can be separated from each other, if, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I started out um, in this scene, I really identified as an S-type exclusively. And um, because of that was very much like, oh, yeah, if my top is into pain, then I've got to accept the pain because that's submission. And it's true, like that was a form of submission to me. That was like, that's like service bottoming because my top was into giving pain. Oh, yeah, I'm going to receive pain. But I think it's been more helpful to me over the years to acknowledge like, okay, there are some things that I like about this style. There's some things that I like about that style. So I think like my, my preferences have also shifted as I've learned, as I've navigated the language in kink. Yes. As I, I think, as I've said on this podcast before, like labels are both infinitely useful and infinite, infinitely, uh, unuseful yeah, or something along those lines. So tell me, G, I want to know, well, quickly, I will just also wrap up that discussion by saying, obviously, sadism is different from dominance and masochism is different from being a submissive. So did you want to talk about your masochistic traits at all? Uh, yes. So uh, I don't really identify as a masochist. I sort of feel like I am masochist adjacent. Like when I bottom for for scenes, it's usually like nice sensation play or rope play. And I'm I'm mostly just talking about physical masochism here. I'm gonna to get to the emotional masochism in just a second. But you know, there are times where I have done a scene where I don't get pleasure from the pain, I get pleasure from overcoming the pain to do something, if that makes sense. Now, uh, when it comes to uh, sort of emotional masochism, I actually think I'm really into this, oddly enough. And that's because I really, I really love to play with, to play with brats or, or self-identified brats who sort of taunt me and, you know, sort of, I, I sort of came to this realization uh, when I went to a class and, you know, somebody says, like, you got to realize, like, bratting is just humiliation play in reverse. <laughs> and that sort of really resonated with me. I was like, oh, OK, that makes sense. I like being taunted and sort of, again, sort of trying to sort of overcome the, the emotional pain that I'm being inflicted at that moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I like being a brat and I like brats. I think brats are super cool. Actually, we should probably define a brat. I don't think we've ever defined that on the show before. Well, it's kind of a hard thing to define. 
Yes, this is one of those cases where the label is both useful and, and not also useful. So not I useful will at all. Doing a quick googling now, so that way I can pull it up. This is a recent entry in Cosmopolitan. What's a brat in BDSM? And here is their terminology. Generally, a brat is what it sounds like, meaning someone who snarks back at their partner during BDSM play. I love that. <laughs> yeah, snark, like being snarky. Being snarky. And so, and here's another good definition that they have too. This is by, this is still in the Cosmopolitan article and we will link to it in the show notes. This quote is from Carmel Jones, who is a sex expert. And they say a brat is defined as someone who wants to be put in their place by a dom in the form of discipline because they've acted bratty, acted out, or misbehaved. So there is sometimes with the brats, there is a need to be like to get something back out of it, like a punishment, or they want their partner to come back at them and to be snarky back at them. Yeah. I'm going to so listen here. You're going to, yeah. Okay. Thank you for putting it in the show notes before I forgot about it. So, yeah. Sorry, were you done with the brat? Nope. Uh, yeah. Are you sure? Uh, yes. I was about to launch into another topic, but if you want to, if you want to, I've been talking for a while. So if you want to say something. Oh, I get to say something. That's exciting. <laughs> Maybe I'll just talk for the rest of the show. I mean, That's you me. could. I'm just being a little snarky. It's fine. Okay. Anyways, G, tell me how you came to acknowledge that you are a sadist. I'm going to be honest. It took me a really long time. Sort of touching upon what I think you said earlier and what we've said in sort of previous episodes, you know, when somebody is identified as a sadist in our popular media, it is because they are not a nice person. They're usually the bad guy. And it's not portrayed as a positive quality in our media. And even the person which we derive, uh, the person's name, that person who we derive sadism from apparently was a real bad guy. (laughs) So, you know, it took me a long time to even admit that I was a sadist. Like, you know, sort of talk about... I would just say, you know, I was a dominant, I was a top, you know, but I wouldn't sort of admit that I took pleasure from the pain. And then after a while, when I sort of started admitting it to myself, you know, I still didn't want to take like full responsibility of my, of that sort of part of my personality. So I sort of tried to create an alternate persona for my sadistic tendencies. And as a little bit like the, uh, what do you call it, M? Uh, tulpa? Tulpas, yeah. So I had never heard that term before until you mentioned it. And then finally, sort of, I achieved acceptance when I went to this large kink event that was happening in our area. And there was this group discussion that was happening. And, you know, we were just sort of all talking about how we felt. And, you know, it was it was nice to know, like, I wasn't the only one who struggled with this topic with this sort of dilemma of like, I like inflicting pain, but does that make me a bad person? And I mean, I think that's part of the reason why I want to do this episode is that you, you can like, you can be a sadist and you can also just be a nice person. Absolutely. Uh, They're not mutually conflicting. No, not at all. As long as you're doing all this consensually. (laughs) Yes. Consent and also being risk aware is really important. So yeah, I, I didn't originally identify as a sadist. Like I said, when I entered the scene, I was almost exclusively an S type. And I did and still do identify as an emotional slash mental masochist, like very highly. I enjoy mindfuckery. I enjoy fear play. I enjoy intimidation. I enjoy humiliation and degradation. I like to be on the receiving end of all of that. And I sometimes identify as a physical masochist, but it's more rare because I just don't take pain very well. Um, In general, like I, I don't derive direct pleasure from it. 
But after and after, like that's for the bottom side, but after exploring my toppy side in the past few years, I realize I'm actually like a mental emotional sadist for sure. And I think that plays into my brat role. Like I like bratting, I like resisting, I like insulting my tops and humiliating them and whatever, Um, with consent, of course. And I'm sometimes a physical sadist. I mean, especially if, you know, my partners really enjoy being hurt, then I can really get into hurting them. So in the beginning, I kind of dismissed the idea of hurting someone because I really couldn't picture myself like truly hurting someone. I'm normally a very gentle, calm person. But as I gradually explored different types of play, like topping in in sensation play or role play. So like I used to do like knives kind of sensually and I do rope very sensually. But there are moments in those scenes where when I had consented with like there was consent between me and the bottom, I explored being a little bit more um, aggressive or inflicting more pain. And I actually realized like I do enjoy it. And my enjoyment exponentially increases with how much the bottom likes it, really. And I know that that's not uncommon. Like a lot of people will say like, oh, I'm way more into it when my partner's into it. Like regardless if it's kinky or vanilla, right? You like it when your partners are into it. But I know that some sadists slash maskists, whatever, they like it regardless of the other person's enjoyment. Like they, they will like it infinitely as good either way. Uh, yes. And I think I'm, I'm one of the sadists that fall into the latter category, into that latter category of like liking it, whether the bottom likes it or not. Of course, consensually. Right. Yes. I mean, you're still, like I said before, when I was bottoming to pain, I didn't always love it. I didn't, I wasn't into it, but I, I was often doing it as a service bottom thing for my partner. And because of that, I did enjoy that aspect, but the top enjoyed it regardless of my enjoyment. And gee, you had linked to an article. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I linked an article while I was doing this, this research for this episode. It sort of sums up a lot of the initial fee. It's a it's an advice column, I think, where somebody's writing in asking for advice and somebody's giving them advice. It sums up a lot of sort of the initial fears I had when I sort of started to realize I was a sadist. And it does offer some good advice on how to sort of process those feelings and how to clearly communicate with your partner so that you know you can if you're both enjoying it, you know, you you know, do frequent check-ins and Make sure that you can, there's aftercare for both the top, for both the sadist and the masochist in that scene. Because there are times where like I've gone through a scene and it's like, oh, I need, I, I, you know, I'm going to take care of my bottom, but I also need like somebody to take care of me. Yeah, I've often heard that top sadists like need to be reassured sometimes that they're not a bad person or they didn't actually like harm the person everything's okay. So I've definitely heard that. I haven't really needed much aftercare from doing sadistic work. But I also am not like a super sadist. So you know, it's possible that I just haven't gotten to my own personal like point where aftercare Mm -hmm. would be necessary. Yeah. Similarly to you finding this article, I found an article as well about accepting masochistic interests because sometimes, you know, we think like, who would want someone to hurt them? Like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I enjoy being humiliated. That's emotional pain. Why do I enjoy that? I must be, you know, fucked up or whatever. And I would say as long as it's not like negatively impacting your daily life and your ability to engage in like those healthy, normal human behaviors, you're probably fine. And I found an article that touches on that embracing your masochistic side, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. But one good quote from the article was on communication in specific. And, and gee, you kind of touched on this as well. But this is the quote, and it's towards the end of the article. The last thing on my journey was learning how to communicate. Not all pain is good pain. And my tolerance to pain varies from day to day. I like pain to start off slow and easy and then build. So this was easy to communicate as in this person learned how to communicate what their preferences were in the types of pain that they want. Uh, Yeah, I mean, understanding what you want from a scene is really important. Understanding what you what you like, what you dislike and you know, also like this, like your quote says, like how you're feeling that day. Exactly. 
there are times where it's like, oh, well, we've planned the scene that's for, you know, months and like for whatever scheduling reason, we haven't been able to do it. And now the day is finally here. And it's just like, today's not the day. You know, we're both here, but we're just not feeling it for whatever reason. Or one person's not feeling it. It doesn't have to be both of them. If one person's not feeling it, then it's like, all right, well, let's try to figure out what we should do next. Right. Yeah, and I'm thinking now, like, the masochist does have to be worried about their body, like, what what level of pain that they're in for, but also the top, because, like, as a top who has physical pain and disabilities, you know, if you're flogging, that's a lot of arm work that you're doing, and so you have to check in, like, with yourself as a top, can I actually do a scene, can I continually flog this person for a certain period of time, or... What does my body need before I can be ready for this scene? And sometimes the top's not going to be in the physical space either. Yeah, I definitely I definitely sort of try to make sure that I'm still doing okay. I'm going to admit, it's hard in the middle of the scene when you've got sort of all the endorphins going. But like one thing I like to do is barefoot kicking. And I'm highly aware of the fact that there's a good chance that I'll probably break one of my toes during one of these scenes. (laughs) So, you know, I try to like be cognizant of that fact and be ready to sort of call a scene if something goes wrong. That's a good thing to bring up. Yeah. Is that because also you do the thing with your toes? I mean, I like doing both. I see. Yeah, because I'm very familiar with your toes. (laughs) Doing the thing. Our, our listeners are going to be very confused right now because I don't even know how to describe that. Even our our KMPAF, our KMP audience folks are going to be confused. Yeah. Uh, um, there's the toes thing. Just, you don't, shh, gee, it's okay. It, it can be our secret. <laughs> okay. Just let them imagine what that could mean. So we already touched on, I'm going to just say, we already touched on distinguishing physical sadism and masochism from emotional sadism and masochism. And obviously, yes, you can combine them, you can do them separate. I think like physical pain is something that I often think of as like with impact play, with certain like extreme temperature play, like going from fire to ice, or just ice play can be really painful. Things like the violet wand, which we touched on, which is the electric shocks. So there's a lot of different types of the physical, physical sadism and masochism. And then on the emotional end, we have like the humiliation, degradation, objectification, mind fuckery, fear, intimidation, um, all those sorts of things. So I feel like we really touched on those. What I wanted to focus on now is, first of all, what are the things kind of outside of those realms? Like what are the less traditional when we, when we conceptualize pain? And for me, the thing that comes to mind there is tickling. Have you been tick? Like, do you enjoy being tickled G? There's a somewhat complicated answer to that. (laughs) Okay. Well, all I can say is I hate it and I hate it. And I love it in the way that I once bottomed for a tickling scene and I knew straight up, I, I hate being tickled, but I really wanted to do this scene because the top is really into tickling. And I really had to brace myself for what was going to be probably like the worst pain of my life. That's how I feel about tickling. And sure enough, like it started out fine. Like I think I was, I was prepared and my body was like not budging in the beginning. And after a while, the tickling, it catches up to you. And you can't stop. I mean, you can stop it because there's a safe word and it's negotiated and blah, 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 of course. But because of the scene and I wanted to keep going. I mean, that scene was harder than other types of sadism that I've endured. Yeah, I I think a lot of people sort of have that reaction to tickling. At least both you and T have that sort of reaction to tickling, though T will not do a tickling scene for all the money in the world. (laughs) And I totally don't blame anybody who doesn't want to engage in this type of play. I I sometimes think like ticklers are kind of, they're on the fringe almost of the mainstream kink community because their type of play is like a little bit, it's a little niche. Similarly to, I think hypnosis play is kind of niche. Yes. 
unlike like rope play or just general impact play and things like that, that are kind of more like widespread. Yeah, so I feel like the the stuff that's more widespread just sort of photographs easier. Oh, for sure. Yeah, how do you really capture a tickling scene in the moment? I will tell you, if you took a picture of my face in that moment, it would look it would look awful. Yeah. Uh, so do you not a beautiful shabarried up figure? You know. <laughs> uh, so do you want to hear my answer about tickling? Yeah, I, w- I want to hear it. Sorry, I know that was long winded on my part. <laughs> no worries. So. I like tickling, but it's not just because of the tickling, if that makes sense. Okay. It's because, so when somebody like tries to tickle me in my day-to-day life, like I don't respond to it. Like I can just shut down the mental pathway that lets me respond to that. So the one time, I've really only done a tickling scene one time. And that was during like a kink 101 event at the very start of my sort of being kinky experience. And for me, like what I had to do was essentially like relax and let the sensation flow through me, Mm -hmm. which was incredibly nice. Yeah. Because you kind of let go. Yeah. It was, it was letting go. It was letting, you know, I, I imagine it's somewhat similar to how certain people feel in bondage. It was like, I can't make any decisions right now. I just have to, sort of let the sensation flow through me. That was just very, that was very nice. That's awesome. I'm glad that you can get that from tickling. That's really cool. You know, I realized we might want to put in a very brief like content note or content warning that we will discuss tickling because I just realized there are people who would potentially get triggered or have bad body sensations because actually even just talking about tickling, I can start to feel the sensations in me. Really? Yes, I can. And I think, well, I'm probably... Come on, I'm very susceptible to hypnosis and self-hypnosis <laughs> and meditation and all that stuff. So I can, I know I've heard people say you can't tickle yourself. I can literally tickle myself with a thought. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we can, we can put a content warning for, for tickling. For tickling. Yeah. Just in case. Cause I don't know if there's other people like me who would listen to this and then be like, oh God, now I'm feeling tickled. You know? <laughs> And that might not be pleasant. Maybe it would be like, but for those who it would be pleasant for though, they'd get to this part and they'd be like, oh, that's hot. Yeah. So, so there you go, audience folks. I, I, if you, if you thought that was hot because you felt the tickling sensation, you're welcome. Yeah. And if you really want to let us know that you, (laughs) you can email us, (laughs) tell us, yeah, I was susceptible to that. I don't know. Um, no, that's weird. Don't do that. No, I mean, do whatever. You know, we're we're open to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate any feedback that gets sent to uh, get sent to our email uh, or anywhere else that's sent. So, OK, before we sign off, G, now, very brief, I uh, just very brief answer for this. OK, you got 20 seconds. OK, what is your number one sadistic tool? By the wand. Yeah, okay, I knew that one. <laughs> I gotta think about mine, but what do you think it is? If you had to guess what mine is. Maybe it'll be right. Hmm. Your number one sadistic tool? Mm-hmm. Your voice. Ooh. I like that. I didn't even think that was an answer at first, but now that you said it, I like it. <laughs> I like you. (laughs) I like you too. Oh, random side note, talking about sadistic tools. And I know I I cut you off at 20 seconds, but X just asked me if I would top them in needle play. Okay. And so that is a form of sadism that I enjoy engaging in. Uh, So uh, I don't think we've, uh, we've touched on this in the episode so far. Just because you're a sadist doesn't mean you like everything that inflicts pain yeah of course so i do not like needles like i'm a big believer that inside like in my scenes inside should stay inside right (laughs) and outside should stay outside (laughs) we will definitely want to content note for needles discussion uh yes that that's a definite thing we'll have to do content note yeah no totally i mean 
I am actually into needles and I'm fine with them. And I totally, I have friends who have phobia, so I totally get not wanting to engage with them. Or even if you don't have a phobia, just not wanting to, you know, have any sort of blood play or anything like that. And while you were talking, G, that that made me think of something else. Oh, gosh. You know, I'm glad you edit these because I'm going to need a second. <laughs> okay. Oh, one thing we didn't touch on that now I'm thinking about too is do you specifically really enjoy certain reactions from your bottoms when you're being sadistic? Like, do you like the ouchies? Do you like the moans? Do you like the screams? What do you, what do you like as a reaction? Well, I, I like a lot of different reactions. Just any reaction is good. Well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that. I do I do think I like the the fuck you reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think that that's close to the top of being my favorite reaction. The fuck you reaction. What about the that's not nice reaction? It's not it's not quite as visceral for me. Not as visceral. Okay. I was just thinking about that. I say that a lot, which is I think it's hilarious because it's like, yeah, I signed up for something that wasn't nice and now I'm telling you that it's not nice. But it's like so obvious. <laughs> yeah. I my typical reaction is ouchies. I say ouchies. Yeah. And from my bottoms, what do I enjoy as my uh, what do I want to hear as a reaction? I mean, honestly, I think I have a little bit of a silence kink, not necessarily with giving pain, because like I think hearing reactions is good, but like something about like hmm muffled sounds, maybe. Okay. Maybe I actually just want to gag people. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. I think I'd really like to top someone sadistically until they cried. I'm really into that. But I don't think I have it in me to do it. Uh, yeah, I, I have the, the issue is like a majority of the masochists that I played with are like, they, they get pleasure from the pain. So it's not usually... A, it's not they, it's not going to end with them crying because they enjoy it too much which is awesome yeah yeah i think you would have to really carefully negotiate a scene like that well i think it would just have to be with a masochist who's kind of like myself cuz it's something that i've also like i enjoy crying also as a bottom so i've asked a, a top to top me until i cried it turns out it actually takes a lot to make someone cry in a scene Because a lot of the times, even if you aren't the best at taking physical pain, not the best, but like, even if your pain tolerance is not that high or whatever, there's still other things you could be enjoying from this scene. So it actually takes a lot to like, to kind of cry. Yeah, I mean, I feel like any scene, no matter how it's negotiated, like one thing that's going to be counteracting negative emotions are all the endorphins that are flooding your body. Right. Yes, for sure. This is a very interesting discussion. I'm glad that we did this episode. And also, happy two-year anniversary to us. Yeah, this is our two-year anniversary. A lot has changed in those two years. But I think, at least, M, are, do, you, do you still enjoy doing the show? I love doing the show. <laughs> I'm very excited for what 2021 will bring for this show. I'm I'm very excited to leave 2020 behind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think 2021, we're going to kick 2021's butt no matter what happens. I really believe that. I'm the optimist, but I believe that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm looking it up. And yes, it was January 1st, 2019 that we released our first episode officially on Stitcher. No, I think I definitely edited that because <laughs> it wasn't initially because uh, when I first released the podcast, I didn't get a clean release like it showed up on different platforms oh, at different times. OK, but yeah, I think like it took like Stitcher. I think it showed up relatively fast, but for for Apple, oh, it took Stitcher like that a I'm week. On. Hmm? That was Stitcher. Yeah. And it's January 1st. Yeah. 
Anyways, so yes, two-year anniversary, very exciting. There's a new podcast logo that's going to be going out with this episode. There is. I'm very excited about that. And also, I know that you will also post this about the Discord, hopefully before this episode goes out. But we do have a Discord, which let me get... Well, we'll just we'll put the link in the show notes for the Discord. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Join our little wholesome, kinky community, which is inclusive and warm and embracing and very geeky. There's lots of fan art in there. Yes. And also Elsa. Elsa, who I am not into. You are not into Elsa. Nor have I climbed Mount Everest. Which might be a euphemism for having sex with an ice queen. It, it might be. <laughs> well, anyways, on that note. If you like our show and, uh, you know, if you know somebody who might be uh, struggling with you know, their sadistic or masochistic parts of their personality. Or, you know, if you just want somebody to hear the phrase climbing, <laughs> climbing Mount uh, Everest in reference to uh, having sex with the ice queen, you should share this podcast with your friends, with your play partners, with anybody who you feel like would enjoy this podcast. It might be sadistic of you not to share it. It might be. And on that note, please donate to us using the link at the bottom of the show notes. Yes, those those donations do help a lot with uh, making sure we can put this podcast out on a consistent basis. Well, this is M. And this is G. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast. You can find us at knppodcast.tumblr.com, or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. So I'm playing that to like help curb my nightmares about Persona 4. You're, you're having nightmares about Persona 4? It gets kind of creepy towards the end. Like, really creepy. Okay. So, last night I was like, I can't go to sleep having just played that. So then I impulse bought Hato Full Boyfriend to give me happy pigeon dreams. And I'm already falling for the shy, introverted pigeon who likes to stay in the library. And he's like, don't bother me. Uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna bother you. <laughs> <laughs>